Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo! <laughs> All of TikTok. So sue me. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I'm gonna I almost said speaking of sue me, and then I was like, well, no one gets sued in this. But they should have. Should, they should have. <laughs> um, speaking of suing, I guess, even uh? though it doesn't happen in this film, we're talking about Candyman. Candyman. The Candyman can. I wanted to sing that and find a way to naturally sing it, and then I was um, like, there's really no way there's to just naturally start singing an no. old song about candy. Yeah, one does not often break into Candyman in play <laughs> candy conversation. Candyman can. Speak for yourself. Well, okay. Uh, the original, to be clear, Jeez. we were doing Candyman 1992. This came out the year I was born. Oh, it's older than me. <gasps> By one Bitch, year. Bitch, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> one year older. When I was a baby. The Candyman was out there doing his thing. Back in my day. Back in my day. <laughs> I was an infant. Uphill both ways. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we, we're doing Candyman. 1992. I'm very excited. I really like this movie. Oh, I love this movie. This I was... have my issues with it. Oh, yeah. Who but doesn't? I love watching this movie. This is one of the ones we did before we started the podcast. Yeah. This it was, was one of the... When the we chats. had, like... It was originally a Hell House chat. Yeah. And then every time we watched a new movie, we just... Hell House and Candyman and, and Conjuring. It just kept getting longer and longer. Yep. And then I was like, man, what if we just had a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I think you said it, actually. And yeah. I was like, yeah, all right, fair. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, so yeah, Candyman 1982, uh, it's based on Clive Barker's short story, The Forbidden. Mm-hmm. I've not read it. Have mm-hmm. you read it? Okay. No, I thought I, about reading it. Yeah, I was like, I'd like to read it. Once I was reading about the movie and like the differences, I was like, yeah, it actually sounds pretty cool. Like I'd like to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was directed by Bernard Rose, who I don't know why this was written. It was, con- he's considered a pioneer of digital filmmaking. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, I don't know what that means. So it's just like, instead of, um, filming things to be run on film, so like 70 millimeter, 35 millimeter, it was just digitally, which is like what most, almost every single movie is filmed on now. So I don't know why he's a pioneer of that. Maybe he was just the first to be like, I'm done with film, see ya. I'm doing it digital, I guess, I don't know. Um, But now that's like the standard. Mm -hmm. Um, Now it's considered like special to have it on film. Which, you know, it is. Yeah, right? I was like, and it is hard. I mean, it costs a shit ton of money if you want to do both. Yeah. Which is, I think, what they had to do for a lot of movies, but specifically, Mm -hmm. like, The Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight is um, 70 millimeter and digital, which is really hard, especially 70 millimeter when you're, that's just, it's hard to run that. Mm -hmm. Like, 70 millimeter is even more uh, rare than 35 millimeter. So it was just like, oh, shit, here we go. Like, because <laughs> I remember that was one of the ones that we ran. We've talked about it before. We ran at my work. It was the reason we got a 70 millimeter projector because that one came and we were like, we got to play it. <laughs> so that one was digital and, you know, which did you know that's also with the guy, what's his name, who did The Room? Oh. Yeah, that was one of the, another reason that his movie was so fucking expensive is because he insisted that it be Tommy filmed. Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau. So it was, he insisted that they do it digitally and for film. And he knew nothing about it No, he knew all. nothing about it. So he was just like, yep, I want to make sure. And they were like, okay, but like, it requires a lot of different stuff. And he was just like, I don't care. 
Good for him. So yes, directed by Bernard Rose, apparently a pioneer of digital filmmaking. Good for him. Uh, he was known for Paper House. I say was. I, I don't think he's dead. I don't know. I'm pretty sure he's alive. Okay. There he's, were interviews with him this year. He is known <laughs> <laughs> for Paper House. Anna Karenina? Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Okay. Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like yodeling by the end. <laughs> Maybe it was. Uh, and Immortal Beloved. I've seen none of these, but I'm intrigued. Yeah. Um... Where was I? Uh, oh, he also directed, this is great, the uncensored version of Frankie Goes to Hollywood's hit, Relax. No. Yes. <laughs> so, because I, I guess in the 80s, he specifically started off doing, like, music videos for, like, MTV. Uh, and this is the one he's most known for is Frankie Goes to Hollywood's Re- Relax. But the uncensored version. Well. So. It's lewd. I actually don't know. <laughs> Very lewd relaxation. Lewd relax. Um, Now, this is where it also gets fun. The cinematography was Anthony B. Richmond. He also did Tales from the Hood, Ravenous, Cherry Falls, which are all, like, horror films. Mm -hmm. Guess what else he did? (laughs) You're going to love this. Um, Mary Poppins. Legally Blonde. (laughs) (laughs) So the cinematographer for Candyman also did Legally Blonde and the movie The Sweetest Thing. Which is like another like rom com, uh, okay type thing. Wowza. So a lot of horror films, but also like Legally Blonde. <laughs> so you know, if you're ever thinking to yourself, "Boy, Legally Blonde really reminds me of the movie Candyman yeah, with all those jump scares," <laughs> I'm really getting a Candyman feel from yeah. this. <laughs> I get the murderous energy, you know. Yeah, that would be why. Uh, the music was Philip Glass. Uh, his work has been associated with minimalism, which is like. Uh, built up repetitive uh, phrases and shifting layers. So just like using one sound over and over in different ways, I'm assuming, Mm -hmm. to like create, which is kind of what it sounded like in this. So super cool. The budget was eight to nine million. It did that thing where it Mm -hmm. does eight or nine. And I was like, sure, whatever. But do you know how much it made? Um... You can do this. 30 million. Okay. What? 25.8. Oh my God. That's the closest I've yeah. ever been. 25.8 million. Oh my. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't know if you could hear it, dear listener, but the look of panic on my face. She always looks so scared when I ask and I love it. I was like, what do you, what do you think it made? And Kate's like, I'm just, um. and I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. I got you. <laughs> I'm like stroking her face. and I'm like, why are you scared? <laughs> oh, shh. Sweet baby. I've never spoken. <laughs> I've never spoken. Um, Some John Mulaney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so yeah, you you nailed it. That So oh. it, like, did well. It, you know, made its money back, obviously. Hell yeah. Um, now here are just some fun facts. I'm trying to do some more facts. I love it. Um, the murder from the film mm-hmm. that happens, you know, from behind the medicine cabinet is real. Yep. That is based on an actual murder from 1987. Her name is Ruthie Mae McCoy. Someone broke in and came in through the medicine cabinet. Yeah. Uh, so that is real based on, I believe the director wrote the two articles or someone who worked on the movie actually helped write articles about the murder. Oh, wow. From what I read. Um, uh, another fun fact, Eddie Murphy was technically what they who they wanted to play the original Candyman. Not the original. Who they originally wanted yeah. to play Candyman, but they couldn't afford him. <laughs> they were like, well, oops. Yeah. Um, so we got Tony Todd, who people were worried about because they were worried that he wouldn't be able to handle the bees 
for some reason specifically oh. they were like all right, he he looked the part everyone was like yes he looks the part but we're just worried he won't like handle these bees really well and he said that he would do it like no matter what because um he had always wanted to work one with like this director he really wanted to and he said specifically i've always wanted to find my own personal phantom of the opera oh my god so for him i guess this was like his version of being phantom of the opera holy shit okay <laughs> which i mean the parallels are there if yeah. you think about it so yeah like i get it that's really cool so Wowza. that was specifically why he like persevered and he was like i'm doing this yeah <laughs> uh and then sandra bullock was also no eyed to play helen um okay because a different person was yes. also in line okay, okay yeah okay, so i don't remember uh, the original woman's name something pig p-i-g-g yes so she there was a woman who was originally supposed to play helen mm-hmm. uh and she got pregnant yep so she couldn't and so they had uh this woman whose name i uh virginia madsen mm-hmm. she was you know okay i'll play helen and then they said like if she can't sandra bullock will play Holy shit uh yeah Wowza. so they were basically like you're on deck sandra <laughs> Um, Sandy B. Sandy B. It would have been such a different movie. Yeah. But I'm well, not going to say bad. Like, Blindside? Like, I, mean, I guess you're right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I'm picturing her only in Miss Congeniality. She's done many things. But in yeah. my mind, I'm like, that's Miss Congeniality. <laughs> uh, yeah. You said Miss Congeniality. And I was like, Legally Blonde? She's Legally Blonde? <laughs> I was like, hey, what's she in Legally Blonde? <laughs> We're going in a circle. And it's just, it's madness. Yep. Okay. Now, more fun facts. Bees were handled by Norman Gary in this mm-hmm. movie, who also did all of the bee wrangling and handling for the movie My Girl. <laughs> so uh, don't worry, we're in good hands. Yep. <laughs> um, the film used more than 200,000 honeybees. Uh, Todd negotiated a bonus of $1,000 for each of the 23 bee stings that he received during filming. That's the way to do it. <laughs> right? Um, another fun fact, Virginia Madsen is very allergic to bees. You know, the woman who played Helen, who eventually gets covered in bees. Oh, my God. (laughs) So when she was filming this, they used freshly hatched, non-stinging, non-flying bees. So that was used for the scene where it's on her face. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yes, Todd did actually have bees all in his mouth. It took an hour and a half to get all of the bees into his mouth. Mm -hmm. And he had like a guard. Mm -hmm. So he like wouldn't Wouldn't get stung. Um, And he just had to be like, (laughs) like close his mouth and just hope for the best um so i'm assuming they had to get that shot in as few takes as possible because like coercing a bunch of bees into someone's mouth can't be can't be easy easy. so um yeah that's uh what they did with the bees and then my last fun fact virginia madsen was actually hypnotized during her scenes with Candyman. (laughs) okay so the scenes where virginia madsen or helen is interacting with Candyman and she has that like out of it stare. That was because the director wanted to cut back on the the like intense screaming you get in horror films. Mm. And for some reason, the way they did that is they wanted Helen to look like she was being hypnotized yeah. by Candyman. So they actually hypnotized her. What the fuck? They said it took, uh, as I recall, like 20 to 30 minutes or so for her to get put into this like trance state. Um, and then there was like a word that could be said and it would like, was it bees? I hope it was bees. She was like, bees? I was like, be my victim. No! No! (laughs) So yeah, there's like an article about it that you can read. She, she genuinely was apparently, I I mean, I hope I'm not wrong, but I looked it up. Yeah. She was like hypnotized for the scenes where she was supposed to be in a trance like state. 
uh, for those scenes. Wild. Okay. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Because I have notes about that. I really liked that specifically. And then when I read that part, I was very surprised. Honestly, um, like it wouldn't be out of the norm for a director to do considering no. all of the movies we've covered where they actually like bleed yeah. and get hurt. And don't have running water. Oh, yeah. So, like... So, like, this didn't surprise no. me as much as I was just really intrigued. I was like, what a, what a wild thing to do. And also, I mean, one of the few things that I've had a director do that didn't hurt the per You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I was like, all right, well, at least you're not cutting their finger and having an old man suck on it. Eh. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. Nasty. No running water, I'm looking at you, the Evil Dead. <laughs> Come on, Evil Dead. <laughs> Blair Witch, where they had to fucking um, sleep in tents and they all got rained on and yeah. stuff. And the crew couldn't hear them when oh they were asking God. to. They were like saying the one safe word they had. Yep. Please help us. And they were just like, no. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> For anyone that doesn't know what we're referencing, I'm just going to get it out now. Yeah. In this movie, Helen does a lot of bullshit. Mm. And in my mind, I kept picturing that meme where it's Bugs Bunny with his tongue on his teeth going, no. <laughs> Because that's what she just kept doing. We'll get to it and I'll elaborate. But I just kept picturing Bugs Bunny with his now. (laughs) I love it so much. (sighs) So those are all my notes. I know it's time for a summary. Okay. A white woman does a lot of bullshit and drags a lot of people down with her. And oh boy, does she mess up some shit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not saying it's all her fault, but... (laughs) She certainly, she certainly goofed some stuff. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, God. Helen. Yeah. Like, uh, boy. Rotten Tomatoes is nicer to Helen than I think she deserves (laughs) as a character. (laughs) Sorry, Helen. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, if you're ready for it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Skeptical graduate student Helen Lyle befriends Anne-Marie McCoy. Befriends? Okay. While researching superstitions in a housing project on Chicago's near north side. From Anne-Marie, Helen learns about the Candyman, a knife-wielding figure of urban legend that some of her neighbors believe to be responsible for a recent murder. After a mysterious man matching the Candyman's description begins stalking her, Helen comes to fear the legend may be all too real. She does not befriend Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie is the woman in the apartment, right? Yeah. With the baby. Anne-Marie's very reluctantly kind to her, and then just really gets stabbed in the back. Well... Stab in the arm, literally. Stab, stab in the, the arm, arm figuratively. Well, she also isn't even the one that tells her about Candyman. No, she's not. She it's hears the, about Candyman from other people. Yeah, the custodians. Not even. She hears about it from uh, the woman that she's giving the uh, interview with in the very beginning. That's how yes. it starts. Yeah, and then she hears more like, right. specifically like about actual... how it's at Cabrini Green yes. from the custodians. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So they did Anne-Marie dirty in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they did a lot of people better. dirty in this movie, but not Helen, our sweet God. Mm. <laughs> I can't mm. wait to just fucking drag her ass roast her she already got that <laughs> i almost said burn i was like oh sick burn yikes if you haven't seen this movie she does die at the end being burned alive she gets out but then the shock to her system was too much yeah, too much too much for helen yeah. but don't worry everyone thinks she's a beautiful savior so if you were worried that there wasn't going to be a white savior in this movie oh tisk 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 there is oh boy God, there were a few ways to read the funeral scene. And I think it's really interesting to get into that. I'm excited. I, we're do I know. I'm oh, we talked a little bit about what Nerdcore was be about. Mm-hmm. Was be about. Was be about. <laughs> was gonna be about. And What's I was that? very excited. How long they die. <laughs> Who will die longer? Is something I longer? said in the last episode. <laughs> so if you haven't listened to that, there's something to look forward to. And I said it with such confidence yeah. too. Oh, who will die longer? I was like, and you don't even know like 
who will die longer? <laughs> I thought I was being so cool. It was like, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with me? <laughs> it's like we have full-time jobs and we record at night. <sighs> it's almost like that's what we do. Yeah. Good thing we don't. Oh. <laughs> Work. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> All right, let's get to Nerd Corner. I'm so excited. Yes. So there are generally two readings of the film that I found in my research. Mm-hmm. That could also be biased on my side in terms of what articles I actually choose to read. Because generally, like, when I'm researching, I'm like, mm, no, this was written by a white man. I'm not interested. Right. <laughs> uh, so I'm not saying that comprehensively the analysis of this movie can be, you know, divided into two routes or two readings. But of the articles I read, I found two general readings. Okay. And those are all in my extended show notes. Nice, nice, so nice. recently... I've been focusing a lot on director intent, but for this one, I don't want to start there. Okay. I want to look more at how it operates in society. Mm-hmm. And there's this question, like, is it a critique of white saviorism in films, or is it a reflection of that storyline without pointing out the problematic elements? Okay, yeah. So is it just recreating culture, or is it critiquing what's happening? Right. And I desperately want to talk about the spiritual sequel, Nia Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. But I want to save most of that discussion for when we actually cover it. Yeah, yeah. But I did read an interview with her, and it, oh my god, I'm so excited to see it. It's great. So if you haven't seen Candyman... Looking at the plot, we have a white woman working on her thesis on modern folklore. Yeah. And to basically outdo any of the previous works on the subject, namely by her, her husband's husband and her co- Who I think looks like Stephen Fry from the he side. He looks like Stephen Fry! And Helen looks like Gillian Anderson. <gasps> she does! Mm-hmm. I knew she looked like someone. Mm-hmm. It's all coming, it's all coming out. All I had the to, facts. <sighs> anyway, it's a movie of lookalikes. It's fine. So... She wants to outdo this person, and she's just, like, very much, like, my thesis. And it's not even right. hers alone. It's hers and Bernadette's. Yeah, but you never even get to hear about poor, poor Bernadette. Like, what the fuck? Bernadette deserves so much better. So she's, like, Helen decides that she's going to follow the story of a murdered woman in Cabrini Green to see how it connects to the broader mythology of Candyman. Yeah. So numerous people tell her it's a bad idea for her to go to Cabrini Green. Most notable to me is her colleague and friend, Bernadette. Telling her. <laughs> Bernadette. Yeah. Bernadette tells her this isn't one of your fairy tales. A woman was murdered here. And is very much trying to get her to take it the seriously. Whole time. And then there were the, you know, more general warnings about it not being a safe neighborhood. And they shouldn't be there looking like cops. Right. And while there, Helen takes pictures of basically everything. Making comments about how great some of the photos will be. Proving that she's a privileged tourist there to consume poverty and oppression but not experience it. Yep. Because she's like, oh, graffiti snap. She's so oh, like, blood snap. wow. And she's just and unyielding. Bernad- and Bernadette in- is so unhappy. Like the whole time she's so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then while she's in an apartment where a woman was murdered, Anne-Marie comes in and says basically like, what the fuck? Like, what are you doing here? You don't have any right to go through right. people's apartments and their stuff. And then she hears her baby crying, Anthony, and so she and all of them, like, go back to Anne-Marie's apartment. Mm -hmm. And then Anne-Marie, like, apparently Helen's uh, soothing demeanor is basically, like, a balm to the soul. But Anne-Marie basically says, like, the only white people that go to Cabrini Green are there to cause problems. And Helen says, trust me, we're not here to do that. And by saying we're not here to do that, she's talking for her and Bernadette, lumping her friend, who is a woman of color, in with her and basically ignoring that despite how well-intentioned she believes herself to be, her actions aren't lining up. And they won't throughout the movie. It's like, all she does is bring them trouble. And she just keeps speaking for people too. Yes. That is a consistent thing that she does. And it drove me nuts. I was like, mm. Helen, 
People. <laughs> and so there was Nia DaCosta had a really interesting. I think I actually have this fucking quote. I'll wait till I get to the quote because Nia DaCosta said it better and I, I quote her saying it. Uh, so as we go further, Helen makes comments about injustice and points out that her building was originally supposed to be an affordable housing project, but they realize that there is no geographical or structural division between the Ritzy neighborhood and like the ghetto, as they say. So they turned them into expensive condos. Like literally her apartment is a mirror image of Cabrini Green. But, but just fancy as fuck. Yeah, they put plaster on the walls and they changed like a few things. Oh my God. And then they're really expensive. And Helen's like, don't even ask me how much it cost. And so Helen is again recognizing that she has immense privilege, but she doesn't do anything with that. At least nothing constructive. Nothing. Or empowering to the residents of Caprini Green. So there's like a lot more to dig into, but that's like the rough outline needed to dig into the interpretations. Right. So the first interpretation is that this is an uncritical depiction of a white woman just doing her best to navigate an unjust world and sacrifice everything to help those less fortunate. Director Nia DaCosta saw this reading in the original. In an interview with Little White Lies, she said, That film was a project of its time. I love Bernard's work, and I think he did such a great job with the first film, but it's definitely told from an outsider's point of view. To expand the racial politics and reimagine the story's continuation, a lot of it was about shifting the point of view. Being a black director, I was able to look at the story and do something new with it, something more expansive. That was very important to me. But for me, when I first saw the film, I wasn't really thinking of the racial politics. I was thinking, oh my god, there's a scary guy that lives in the projects. So when I watched it again, I could see there were so many different lenses through which you can watch this movie. Through a feminist lens, through a white feminist lens, through the lens of race and gentrification. And I wanted to expand on all of that. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. And so that's one take on saying like, no, this is just a very problematic white saviorism trope film, which I think is a valid reading. 100%. <laughs> and then the second one is a dissection of the white savior trope. Okay. So we see the white woman doing harm as she does the white feminist walk of recognizing oppression without doing anything to change the material circumstances. She still loses everything, but in this iteration, she's not the hero. She right. is the villain. And so one article says it is... Quote, rich with an insightful social and racial subtext, Candyman comes to represent a personification of the white mainstream's heartless demonization of black people, particularly those in the inner cities. Whilst Helen's thoughtless, relentless probing into the lives of the residents of Cabrini Green, where the killings are taking place, amounts to a keen indictment of the white savior complex troublingly prevalent in discussions of race. So this is where I stopped and I was like, okay, well, what was the intent of the director? <laughs> right. Like, because I... I don't, I, I don't think it's that. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it's not as like bad as uh, there's a 16 year old girl inside. Every oh man. my it's god! Not that, but it's not neon demon bad, but no. it's certainly. Or at least not for, like from my positionality, I you know whatever. Right. So this is kind of interesting because the movie, as you mentioned, is based off a short story by Clive Barker, mm -hmm. The Forbidden. That story was published in the 80s and takes place in England. Yeah. In the original, Candyman is white. And the overarching story is one of class division, not racial politics. Okay. So that was introduced. The racial politics were introduced after Bernard Rose decided he was setting the film in Chicago and visited Cabrini Green. Yeah. He went there. Uh, and yeah, everyone was I like, you that. have to have cops with you. You have to take them. And he was like, ah, wah, wah. I remember that. So yeah. he chose to make Candyman black because he wanted it to be realistic within the setting. And of course, there were concerns. <laughs> uh, some of Rose's contemporaries said, like, hey, this is problematic. Carl Franklin, who is a black director, said it was irresponsible and racist. Yeah. And what was Rose's response? You don't understand how horror villains operate. He oh. insists that the boogeyman is the hero and the film would not villainize black folks, while at the same time saying that he had no political goal with the movie. So, 
If we're going by his interviews, his intent was to bring the story to Chicago, and he cast a black man solely because that fit the setting. And while it was intentionally ambiguous as to whether Helen was committing murders or not, he did not have any political motivation for those specific racial components. Mm-hmm. To me, that sounds a lot like the level un- level of understanding around racism and privilege that Helen has. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. So to me, we're at the point where it's like the intent of the director was almost certainly not to subvert the white savior complex mm-hmm. and hold up a mirror to society. It's much more likely that his problematic main character wasn't created to critique, but was instead just a problematic character that was ambiguously not the hero, but yeah. also not definitively whatever. And while this may not seem like a huge distinction to make, I think it's an important one. So yeah. how we situate Helen reveals how we view our own responsibility and culpability as white women. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I spent a lot of nerd court talking about Helen because the movie is very subjective from her perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to call out the harm that she does. But I also want to talk about some folks' characterizations of Candyman. Yeah. Because it was something that people kept coming back to, like, what is the political implication of having a black man who is lynched by white folks because of an interracial consensual relationship terrorize black community? So, like, I get so mad. I know. Basically, like, what are the politics of having him do that harm to those people, to his own community? And one of the articles said something so incredibly poignant that I have to quote it. Yeah. Quote, the ghost of Candyman is, after all, a selfish monster willing to disembowel innocent persons of color and unleash torture, imprisonment, and a sort of self-serving damnation on a potential ally. His expression of anger isn't serving any brand of justice that would be useful to the contemporary recipients of the same violent and systemic oppressions that took his life. Rather, Candyman's supernatural projection echoes the continued scream of hate and inhumanity started by America's white European settlers that has continually poisoned the ability of our nation to grow beyond its original sins of slavery and genocide. In this sense, the March Upon Helen's funeral might best register not as support or protest, but a demand for recognition of the immeasurable and seemingly unstoppable evil that moves from our history into our contemporary inner cities. In a way, Candyman isn't the ghost of a murdered slave's son, but a ghost of the murder itself. That, yeah. That last line is where it's like... That is where, yeah, takes off. He's the ghost of the act of violence that killed him. It's not the man. It's what happened to him. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was like, I had to like stop my notes. Yeah. I was like, I have to sit down. Oh dear. <laughs> I take a lap. So oh. that makes me ask myself again, even if it wasn't the intent of the director to critique white saviorism, can we read that into this? Especially considering it's 30 years old. Right. And this is not to say, let's give credit to Bernard Rose and celebrate no. him. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but can we look at this movie that was probably not incredibly self-aware and learn from it? And this is where it gets really murky for me, the division between like intent and reception, especially across decades. And I guess where I land personally is that we can watch Rose's Candyman and say, I choose to situate Helen as the villain, recognize how race and gender dynamics intersect and diverge and engage with itself reflexively. Yeah. Where it's like, I don't think that Rose carefully crafted a brutal takedown of white saviorism, but I think that we can watch it and see, oh, Helen sucks. (laughs) Yeah. And use that. We, we did something similar with Neon Demon, too, where, like, mm-hmm. before I knew anything about the director and anything about the director's intent, I was reading it in my own way yeah. and taking something from it and thinking that it was a critique on so many things, only to find out, like, no, the director's just a fucking idiot, to yeah. be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, I think that that's something you can do with pretty much any film. It's just, you yeah. know, but you still have to uh, take into account what the intent actually was. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's also like I felt watching Neon Demon that I could put my own like interpretation on it and say this is what I'm choosing to take from it. Right. But very much like this is a film by a white man right. about like primarily a black community exactly. experiencing violence. Yeah. At the hands of other white people <laughs> and like incredible violence. And so it's like I don't think it's up to me to decide. And so it's like my personal reading is going to be like I don't want to be fucking Helen. Right. (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) she has beautiful hair. She's beautiful. But. But no, I just, I don't know. I feel like I, my brain does like absolutism and just like very much like it is this or isn't this. This one's harder. Yeah. Yeah, Because it's like you don't want to erase what the intent was because you still want to, I guess, accept that it's harmful in a way. So you're like, well, I don't want to like put my own reading on it and be like, no, it's actually great. Yeah. Because that just erases the fact that like this actually happens and that's not what his intent was. And this is truly what he thinks a hero is. Yikes. So like that, yeah, I get that. It's like, it's very wishy-washy. Yeah. And like Bernard Rose is not super, like in the interviews I read, he's not like, oh, Helen's a hero, but he's not like, Helen is the villain. He's just like, right. it's very subjective, so you never know if she did the murders or not. But it's right. also like informed by him saying, oh, like I only cast it this way because it's in Chicago and that's realistic. And he's also like, no, you don't know how horror villains work. And him not listening to contemporaries, people of color saying, we are concerned. Right. And and it's not even the murders that make Helen the villain necessarily yeah. either. It's her microaggressions yeah. that make her kind of the worst. Like, it's consistent and she does it throughout the whole movie, mm-hmm. even before the, like, murders. So that part, that can be as ambiguous as it wants. What's not ambiguous is all of her microaggressions oh, yeah. and all the things she, she does constantly and all of her privilege. Yep. And it's, like, so frustrating to watch her. Ugh. Yeah, because... Ellen! <laughs> what Nia Costa said about, like, through the lens of feminism and through white feminism, it's yeah. very fucking, like... It's very fucking true, is what I was going to say. But, like, <laughs> it's so accurate to look at it that way because, like, Helen is very much a white feminist. Yeah. In, like, the way where her feminism is just, like, oh, I'm going to, like, point out the injustice and be upset, but I'm not right. going to do anything that would actually upset the status quo. And I'm going to do whatever I want, despite what other people say is best for them. Exactly. The people that know their own situation right. the best. Just because she knows what she's doing is like privileged and she knows she has privilege doesn't change the fact that she was also doing things that were harmful and not noticing because of her privilege. So mm-hmm. it's like she's aware of it, but also not to a degree that stops her yep. from causing more harm. And there's that Ugh. like white feminist girl power girl boss where it's what is yeah, it yeah. gatekeep gaslight gaslight girl, girl boss <laughs> yeah where it's like i'm gonna follow it like no matter what people are gonna try to stop me but i'm gonna follow the story and it's like i have oh my god i have such a good note about this you know what this is so specific and i know that some people aren't going to understand this but you know what her character what vibe her character gave me what the horrible main character from the movie showgirls Oh my god, yes. They have the exact same vibe. Yeah, they, they do. literally do. Where it's a woman here. it's a woman who's like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm gonna be the best and I don't care who what I have to do and who I have to step on to do it. And it's like, you're literally causing so much harm. Oh my god. Yeah. Like this one, I would say worse and more so. Like it's it's bad. But that's when I was watching this, I was like, dang, you are just like that girl. 
because that girl just kept yelling at everybody and attacking everybody, didn't care. And then she's like, I'm going to solve your problem by attacking the man that brutally assaulted you. And literally just like that movie, the only person who gets like the worst of the worst is a black woman. Yeah. Just like this one, a fucking black woman gets like murdered. Like yep. it, it's, it, it was just so, the parallel was wild to me because I was like, what? Two very different films, but yeah. yet they still have such a ugh, annoying character. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was my specific. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is not all to say, but I want to add on the end. I am so excited to see Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Yeah, yeah. And I think she was very clear in like her article where it's like, I want to call it a spiritual successor or a spiritual sequel because I want to do more with it. I yeah. want to honor the source material, but also build and expand and interrogate these racial dynamics. Right. And like injustices in multiple arenas. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to watch it. Yes, I'm really excited. I think it's, people keep saying like, oh, this is just a year of remakes. People keep making remakes. And I'm like, listen, if people want to make a perfect remake of a movie that kind of sucked, that's shitty. But if you want to take a movie that was pretty good and then talk about the things that made it harmful and fix those things and talk about them, you, hell yeah, you go for it. Fuck yeah. I'm excited. I think it's gonna be really good. I know people were annoyed because they were saying, oh, well, this one has like political, you know, I don't know. They just kept saying it was too political. It had too much to say. And I was just, I was just so frustrated. I was like, bro, this movie's gonna be so good. Shut the fuck up. I don't know. There's, I'm pulling up Uh, my Instagram because there was someone that we shared like a thing from. Okay. So this is from the um, Instagram Black Harbor Icons. mm -hmm. Um, And I got permission from them to screenshot and reshare on our story. This was September 23rd when I reshared it. So They said, if I see one more reaction to Candyman that says it is pushing an agenda, it says a lot about you and what stories you think should be told or tackled in the genre. All horror tackles social issues, even ones that some think are just titties and blood. I know for many, it's more comfortable when stories center around topics only you are comfortable with and that are white-centered, but for many of us fans, we want some different stories from different perspectives. You don't have to like it, I suppose, but many folks don't even question that stories are always centered around their experiences. And believe me... There are many different experiences to draw from uh, draw from to tell stories. That's amazing. And so yeah. I was like, okay, this is really important. Is it okay if I reshare it? And they're like, yeah, that's fine. Because oh, yeah, that's, that's what it – it's like this is not political. This is not pushing an agenda. It's just not from your point of view for once. Shut the yeah. fuck up. Like, and, you're yeah. just upset because it's not your experience that's being shared for once. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. How dare you be so decentered mad. for one fucking second. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's frustrating as hell. And then I also have that everything is political. Everything <laughs> is political. And your like insistence <laughs> that things can be apolitical is your privilege. So, right. oh my god, I'm excited. I think it's gonna be a really amazing movie. Yes. I saw it when I was renting this one. I was like, oh, the new one. Like I was mm. so excited. I almost was like, what if I watched it? And I was like, Nikki, no. It's like no, <laughs> no, you no have don't. To stay focused. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks really good. I'm so excited. Yeah. Just the trailer looked dope as hell. It also just looks scary as hell, which I'm pumped about. I love a good scary movie. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, Weird. Okay, I know. I don't about talk you. about it very much, yeah. but I do like scary movies. Huh. They're okay. So Yeah, they're fine, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, that's society in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, I, I mean, they're all great, as I say every time. <laughs> I just, oh, sometimes there's a few that are... This one is a good chef's kiss. I know they can't all be about clown panics, but I'm just trying to like capture that high again. (laughs) Listen, clown panic was its own wild thing. I don't know if we'll ever catch that wave again. Yeah. But boy, was it fun. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I always learn something. Always. 
And I like that. Oh my God, I forgot. My notes aren't in my book this time. <gasps> That's right, everybody. I took a new note taking system. Tactic. Took a new, to help me. <laughs> Method. I took notes in a new way. Um, and <laughs> it could be, could be a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I did voice to text notes while I was watching the movie, so I'm really excited to hop into horror. Horror. Um, and a lot of my notes are also about Helen because I was frustrated as hell with this woman. I was frustrated as hell when. All right. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> I'll try not to read all of my notes because I know that that's not that fun. But I'll start with the beginning. I love the intro. Because I like that you get, like, um, you know, it's an overhead shot. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a really cool way to, like, show us your setting without having to draw it out and make it too long. And I loved that. I like when movies do that. Because they do that in The Shining as well. Because mm-hmm. um, you're going to be stuck in a hotel for all of The Shining. So it's really cool that they're like, let me give you some aerial shots of them driving. And I'll show you the setting without having to come back to it later kind of thing. So they do a similar thing here where we get to see them driving. We're getting to see all of Chicago and it shows you how sprawling it is and what it looks like and what you're going to be in for without having to have a ton of scenes. And like, it's just neat. I like when movies do that. I think it's a really cool and like efficient way to be like, here you go. (laughs) Um, So that was neat. I liked that. Oh God, I forgot. It's on my phone. It's not going to hold my phone. Um, I do also look to my spit. <laughs> I was like, oh, like ghost um, left your body just now. <laughs> I spit up a ghost. Um, I like when the aerial shot goes from uh, the shot of bees as mm. well. Um, one of my favorites, just because I don't know. Um, when you're looking at an aerial shot, it's often like, oh, the people—they look like bugs from up here, and they do it so fast that it almost took me a second to be like, was that the city? And it was bees. It was so many bees and it was close up of bees. So it just, it was weird. It looked the same and yet it was completely different angles. And ah, it was just so cool. Um, As usual, juicy fucking Foley. This movie had some of the juiciest, like the typing and the. Okay. Can I tell you my favorite closed caption of the Foley? Oh, yes. Uh, So I always have closed captions on because I read better than I hear. And, um. When, when he opened his mouth, oh no, full of the bees. Yes, it said scrunching. Oh, oh, oh. oh no! <laughs> I was like, <laughs> scrunching is a new one. Yep, and it scrunching was so incredibly Wait, accurate. We need to do something. Yeah, I need you and me at the same time uh-huh. on the count of three to make what sound we think scrunching is. Oh shit! Are you ready? Maybe I'll give you a second. Okay, I'll give me a second. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You count. Three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> so what was yours? <laughs> okay, good. Mine was. <laughs> you're so, <just> a <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I was just thinking like. <laughs> it's kind of like the clicky spider thing, but then yeah. also like wiggly and. <laughs> <laughs> Is that scrunching? Is that better for you? <laughs> I need to put a warning at the start of this that Nikki makes mouth sounds. Sorry. Sorry, there's a lot of scrunching in this one. Oh, so much scrunching. <laughs> when I hear the word scrunching, I think of scrunching your nose. Yeah. So I was like, how do I make that sound? And I was like, mm. 
Mm. I can't. I like put it in my notes in all caps because I was like, ah, that was truly the closed caption at that moment. That's so funny. It oh shook me to my core. Uh, I also love that you get a reenactment because she's studying urban legends. Mm. So it's a really cool, they give you this like reenactment of the urban legend with the, you know, the couple where she's like, got her bra on and she's like, Candyman in the mirror, you know? And it's this sort of like, almost like Scream-esque yeah. reenactment of teenagers being idiots and it gives you the sense of like oh this is an urban legend it it like establishes this as like a cheesy urban legend sort of thing right away and they do it with this funny dramatic fucking reenactment that i love and it gives you the sense of oh this is what she studies Mm. got it um so that was great. And then they have the blood coming through the ceiling. Uh, that, yep. It's like, okay, of course, because the blood would immediately, like, go through multiple layers of yeah. flooring, uh, structural things. And it happens things. as soon as, as she gets stabbed. As. It's like, that was a scrunch right there. That if you want a scrunch, scrunch noise. It, I was like, <sighs> did the hook go through the floor? Yeah. Is that how the blood's getting through? I saw that. I went, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. But that's also. The plower of, bu- the plower like, of blood. The plower of blood. <laughs> You heard it here, folks. <laughs> um, this also interesting now that I'm thinking about it and now that you've talked about it. The reenactment in the beginning is like a white couple to being told by like a white woman, I mm-hmm. think. So, of course, it's probably not even accurate. And I think that's the point. But is it? Now that I've heard it, I'm like, I don't know. Because um, in my notes, that's what I had. I, was, I said like, oh, it's really interesting that you're getting this, you know, kind of wealthy classic babysitter story of this white couple that gets murdered and that's clearly not even a little bit what happens and in actuality and now i'm wondering if that's even anything or if it was just like i don't know i wanted someone to tell a story (laughs) i don't know it made sense to me at the the time to you know be another critique but i don't think it is i mean uh see i don't know like i think it is like i don't think it has a political intent behind no. it but i think that it is kind of like a this arose in cabrini green from real events and it is right. very um scary and like it actively terrorizes them yeah but then white people tell it it's like oh did you hear yeah. like my girlfriend's brother's sister's cousin told me exactly and it's even reenacted in a way that's kind of classic horror movie mm-hmm. like it was so interesting so when i saw that because then you get the juxtaposition of that compared to the women who come in and talk to her about it. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, genuinely afraid. Yeah. But the one woman says, like, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Because she clearly knows that this has terrorized them, and she's not going to sit around and let it terrorize her. And that is so important, I think. I don't yeah. know. Because you see this one girl who's just like, it happened to my friend and her boyfriend. And you're like, did it? Like, I don't... <laughs> and then Helen doesn't even ask to record. No. And no. it's like... It- Okay, well, these people are doing their fucking job. You interrupted again, them while they're fuck. no, she doesn't give a fuck. And then they're like, "Oh, well, you know, I'll sit down and tell you this thing." And she just places the recorder there. Mm-hmm. I was like, "You have to get consent." She has a lot of things that, yeah. God. Um, and then I said, "This is something I wrote." Uh, this happens. I think after the women leave and like they've talked to Helen for a little bit. Um, I said, besides the whole white savior thing, this movie has the same vibe of how media handles white women disappearing compared Mm. to people of color disappearing. Missing white woman syndrome. Yes. 
it really, because then she has that line where she says, you know, a woman is murdered, no one shows up, a white woman does something, and a thousand cops show up, something like that. Yeah. Um, and that was before I wrote, or after I wrote this note. So I was like, oh, I'm right. It, it does have that vibe. But again, I don't even think he meant it. Like, I don't know. Um, it's like a very hollow. I feel like it was like, look, isn't that really bad? And good thing she notices that it's bad. Okay, right. let's keep going. That's literally it. It's like yeah. you noticed it. So, and it had that same vibe because, you know, that's what happens in this film. Is, yeah. Oh, God. It's rough. But it captures that quite well. <laughs> um, and then a costume thing I noticed. I haven't noticed cool costume things in a while. But um, when... Uh, I almost called her Susan. What the fuck's her name? Helen? Helen. Helen. <laughs> when Helen and... When El, uh, Helen and Bernadette are talking about their thesis and they're discussing urban legends and all these things, they're both wearing primary colors and just basic colored outfits. And I, I took it to be like, oh, it's kind of childlike. It was like primary colors, like the colors you see with little kids. Little kids tell stories and... I, I don't know. I saw it as... Yeah. I don't think it's intentional. Maybe it is, but... No, that's cool. I just saw it as, like, we pass around stories as kids and look how far they get. And sometimes kids take stories too far. And I just saw that was really yeah. cool because they're both dressed in really basic colors for a lot of the movie. Not the whole movie, but just for the parts where they're discussing their thesis and discussing it. it it's like two friends talking about stories. Oh, that's like cool. kids. So I thought that was neat. Yeah. Helen wears a lot of red, too, and I don't know if that is intentional. Um, I read into it as... Because you see her car, as well, is red, and she's driving through the city, and it really stands out. Yeah. Which, one, it could just be to have it stand out so you can get the aerial shots and not lose the car. But um, I read it also as her bringing the evil with her. Like, she is, she is actually the evil that is coming to this town when she's driving into Cabrini-Green, like her car looks so ominous compared to this gray city. Yeah. It's this deep red, you you know, usually you take red to mean stop or like scary. Yeah. So when she's driving in, I took it as, oh, she's the villain. She's mm -hmm. what's bad. She's, what she's bringing with her is terrorizing this, this whole place basically. And she probably doesn't even fucking know it. Uh, so I thought that was neat. I don't know if her wearing a lot of red is intentional or not, but that's what I thought was cool. Do you, and this is what I wrote, do you remember on TikTok when a bunch of people were finding vacant apartments behind their mirrors in New York, like recently? Yes. Isn't that wild? I, yeah. I also remember where a bunch mm -hmm. of people were finding like razor blades in their yes. walls because that actually used to be like a disposal method of, um, not stray razors, uh, safety razors. Yes. Like the blades. Mm -hmm. And you would, like, there was a little thing in your medicine cabinet and you just like, yeah, that was not scrunching, but. That was not scrunching, no. but. But that's wild. I just, I, yeah, remembered, I remember that. I thought that was so wild. Um, yeah. Also, what the fuck does she do to afford that apartment that she lives in? That super nice one. What the fuck? Her husband's a professor. Is that it? Like, that's, dang. Also born into wealth, probably. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> sounds about right. Okay. Sounds about white, yeah. Um, <laughs> sounds about white. <laughs> um, also, I wrote, I think it's very telling that the only person who isn't afraid and doesn't care is the privileged white woman. Everyone else is saying, don't go there. Don't do this. And Helen is just sitting there going, I think it's going to be fine. Yeah. The oh. kid's like, I'm afraid of Candyman. And she's like, well, Candyman's not real. Literally. I have that written down too. And this part pissed me off. Um, I was so, I wrote, Helen's annoying. Yeah. Helen, she completely disrespects everybody just for her own thing, which is so privileged and annoying. 
Mm-hmm. It's frustrating to watch her tell someone, don't be scared. It's not real. You don't live here. You don't fucking know. You're, you're just you're just going off of the stories you've heard from a bunch of white people who heard this and blew it out of proportion. Not blew it out of proportion, but made it something it's not. Frustrating as fuck. Yep. Um, here we get some lighting stuff I was very excited about. Um, the movie has natural lighting, so it wasn't too wild or special unless it gets to some other scenes we'll talk about later but the first time you get some wild color or lighting is uh in the apartment when she you know is taking photos and fucking shouldn't uh it's super green and weird and it's been natural Mm. warm lighting throughout this whole thing and then you get to the apartment where the woman was murdered it's like doesn't even look like the same time period it looks it's so green and otherworldly and strange i really liked it it was neat yeah. Um, it was just an intense break. It's probably not actually that wild of a color change. I think just compared to the warm lighting and stuff. I thought it was Nito Mosquito. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, most of my notes after this are just like, dang, this woman is so aggressively a white savior, savior even though she mostly just fucks things up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, this was something I had to ask you. What is like the reset on saying this man's name? Like, oh, do you mean like if you say it three times and you're like, never mind, I'm bored. You can come back like a month later. Yeah. Can you say it two more times? Exactly. I'm like, because people kept being sitting there saying like, oh, I'm not afraid of Candyman. And then they go, oh, yeah. Well, it does have to be in a mirror. Oh, specifically? Yeah. Okay, good. Then never mind. But I was so confused because people kept saying it all willy nilly. And I was just thinking, aren't you guys scared of Candyman? Why are y'all just saying his name? Like There's it's like nothing. Someone that follows them everyone's like, hold on, Susan, you're oh, a four. You gotta cool careful. it. <laughs> <laughs> someone just says a little watch and they're yeah. like, it's been an hour. Why don't you wait till midnight and you can say it again, okay? <laughs> it was just, I couldn't tell. Oh my God. Uh, and also, this was a really cool lighting thing that, again, I have no idea if this was intentional, but if it was, I love it. Um, there's a part where she's talking to Jake about Candyman and she's, he's telling her all about what he's done or where the story came from. Uh, and when they're talking, they're sitting next to a fence and the lighting is coming through and it almost looks like a honeycomb coming Mm, through the fence on her face. Yeah. And I thought that was super cool. No idea if it was intentional or if that's just where they were sitting, but it looked awesome because the bees and the story and it just almost was like, oh, Helen's Candyman. She will become the Candyman. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, that's great. But I got annoyed. She was like, I don't scare easy. I was like, that's because you're not from here and you don't know the story. But that's yeah. fine, Ellen. You do you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I said, this woman is literally dragging everyone into her research. Even a, ty- a child she doesn't care about. I That child was everything. Like, oh, his acting, incredible. Jake. I have his quote right here. You can't fix that. Better off dead. <laughs> I wrote that in my notes, too. I love Jake. Because he's telling this story of how this child had his penis cut off Mm -hmm. by Candyman, and the penis was left in the toilet. Yeah. And Jake's like, can't fix that. Better Better off. And he literally says it like that. Like, I'm not exaggerating. He goes, can't fix that. Like, (laughs) I loved this kid with all my heart. He was great. He has many one-liners. There's a great part where he sees the hook in the big burn pile Mm -hmm. thing, and he just goes, he's here. Yeah. And then just walks away so ominously yeah yeah but he's just like yeah i have a lot of just admiration for that actor like that child actor but then also just like the character yeah because he's like okay well now we have to gather materials to light it on fire so we can end the reign of terror on our community yeah exactly and no one is 
no one thinks it's like an over an over exaggeration no. of what is it they're just like yeah hell yeah we do and i love it because that's that's what's happening they're being terrorized no one's helping them what the fuck else do you do you take matters in your own hand you burn everything yeah you go jake yeah. um also the blood on the wall in the bathroom when she when helen is in there you know poking around and stuff yeah. she's poking around in um the blood on the wall that says sweets is like really textured and mm-hmm. it's so creepy because like nothing else is. Yeah. I couldn't pinpoint what was textured about it or Someone what it's. Someone said it might have been feces. But okay. It doesn't, to me, having worked with like <laughs> proximity to feces of many types. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't look like it. No, it, it didn't. I, I couldn't tell. I wasn't sure what it was supposed to be or even what it was, but I thought it was neat because it was the only thing that seemed textured and yeah. the only thing that was leading her to. And it's not even actually the real Candyman. It is, you know, yeah. this man who I guess claims to be in... His... Uh, I think he was a gang leader? I think so, too. Because they say, like, oh, his, like, gang has been terrorized in the community. Yeah. He couldn't get anything on it. And him. you see like, candy with, like, blades in it in the beginning yeah, or something? Yeah, they I put razor sure. blades in the chocolate, which was a callback to one of the urban legends okay. about... Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like, specifically in this case, but it is a callback to a broader societal... Yeah panic around razor blades and apples and right and, stuff. and i didn't know if that was something that was like happening or yeah so um yeah it's like offerings mm-hmm. like hey we know what you like blood and sweets here you go yeah um she also had no chemistry with her husband but that's just a random note that i had who could trevor sucked i know trevor sucked they had no chemistry to the point where I just their relationship confused me um Candyman is scary i know that he like it's it, we talked about this. It's supposed to be the act and not the person. He is genuinely a scary uh, villain. Yeah. So, and he doesn't like just run up on you. He's that's just it. there. That's why it's so frightening. And the first time you really get to see him is in that parking garage with Helen, mm, I think. Yeah. And again, she's actually hypnotized. So there you go. Um, you never actually like see his mouth move. So it still gives you this wild, ambiguous, is he actually there or is yeah. Helen just... And his voice always reverberates. Like, instead of, like, that yeah. quality of, like, oh, I can hear this person talking, it has the surround sound yes. booming voice always. And it's incredible. It was really cool, too, because in that moment, he's talking and he sounds really close to Helen, but it still has that dreamy vibe to mm-hmm. it. But then when she responds, she's talking normal and she's talking as if it's really far away. So it gives you this weird vibe of what is happening. Unreality. Yeah, and then you immediately, because of all this, you you it like immediately becomes an unreliable narrator, mm. um, which is great because Helen's worse, and she is an unreliable narrator. <laughs> um, whether she's doing these murders or not, he's not fucking around. Um, yeah, so I said you never see his mouth move. Um, you don't know if it's in her head or if it's like actually happening. He's moving so slowly. He is never in a hurry to hurt anybody, and you kind of don't see him hurt a lot of people i don't think do you it know? mostly happens off screen and then you see the like they okay. are gutted or like um the doctor he does it from behind and i think you do see some from the front okay and then, like with bernadette I know you see the hook a little bit yeah and then with bernadette you see her body after and yeah then with trevor you see some stuff but she does it then. she does that yeah. so that's why i'm like you never really see him do too much of this like murdering you kind of just see the aftermath or a little bit of it so again, it just makes it so vague in is this real or is this just the legend yeah. that is driving her to do this? I don't know. But I also wrote Bernadette deserves better. I'm so angry that she died. Yep. That part really pissed me off. Yep. Um Yeah. Um 
Other than that, I mean, like, I don't have anything specific that I loved. I just, the whole movie had a, a great vibe specifically because of how they did the scares. Mm-hmm. The only one that was stood out to me that really got me and I loved is when he's floating above her mm-hmm. in the hospital. I thought that was really neat because it happened so fast, but also continues so slow. So he's yeah. there all of a sudden, but then he kind of drifts away and just goes under the bed and it's so unsettling. Mm-hmm. And then again, they show you the tapes and he's not there. Yep. That was my, that was one of my favorite shots. Yeah. So they just had a lot of cool camera angles. The scares were great because I guess he wanted to cut back on the screams and did a good job because the hypnotism worked out and really creeped me out. Mm-hmm. The bees were a cool touch. Yeah. Um, Cause that's not something I don't know. I mean, there's movies with bees in it, I guess, that are horror movies, but it's an unusual thing to have it coming out of your rib cage. That really freaked me out. Mm. That was super cool. Um, so those are my notes on horror yeah. for the most part. I, nothing like super wild, super specific. I just, Helen annoyed me, but I enjoyed the scares a lot mm-hmm. and I enjoyed reading it and being like, okay, so Helen's just the villain. Like, I mean, consistently she shows herself as being the worst yeah. and- yeah, you never really know if Candyman's there or not, or it's cool. Yeah, I took a lot of notes as I was watching, but it's yeah. more of like a stream of consciousness. Like I do a lot of like, okay, this happened, so that when I'm rereading them, I can pinpoint like, oh, I said this yeah. in response to this scene. But then I was going through them, and <laughs> <laughs> when she's in the, um, when she's involuntarily committed, yes, and she's meeting with a doctor who is apparently like on the defensive side or whatever, mm-hmm. and he is showing her a recording of her right. screaming at seemingly nothing. It's four small TV screens all stacked in a cube. And so I was picturing him being like, they'll never know I have a small TV if I stack them. (laughs) (laughs) They're not even combining. It's just four images. This man was just like, okay, I can't afford a big TV, but four little ones. (laughs) It's like, bitches love screens. (laughs) They just love TVs. (laughs) (laughs) That really stood out to me. So I did take like more serious notes. I know. Some of mine, I also, I have no idea what it is um, in relation to, but I wrote, you idiots. Nice. I don't know what this means. I don't know what I was saying. Again, these were voice to text. So (laughs) I wrote these nips, my God. Yeah. Which I know what that part is. Yeah. That woman at the end. Um, Wow. Oh, okay. I had another really great shot. The vibrating camera when she's looking at the water was really scary. Oh, yeah. Because, again, it just had this vibe of, like, what is happening? Is this real or not? Um, Which is super cool. Music is really interesting. It's angelic, haunting, and I love that. Mm, I love a spooky choir. I know, right? And it's also nice when you have it in a setting that it almost seems to just be so different from. Because, like, when you picture... An angelic haunting choir. I picture like, ah, oh, beautiful countryside or like, but it was like this cool city. Yeah. thought it was neat. Um, all the pieces were there. It's really cool. Um, also, did you notice now? Probably not. It was so random, but I noticed immediately when he, when the husband dies at mm-hmm. the end, uh, the new girlfriend goes to like check on him. Yeah. And while she's walking, you get a shot of kind of like what's on their wall. One of their decorations on their wall is just a huge oversized paper clip. <laughs> and I wrote, yo, what's up with that paper clip though? Because <laughs> I was like, okay, you redecorated, you painted everything pink, and then you thought, well, oh, I know what this wall needs. 
a paper clip. A and massive it is, paper clip. Like, I'm showing you, Kate, right now. It's, like, this big. Like, it's, oh boy. it's, it's, it's a, like, toddler-sized. <laughs> yeah. Everybody picture a toddler-sized paper clip, and that's it's what's on the wall. It's that you imagine this now. Please, everybody. Right now, <laughs> we'll drive. give you, like, five seconds so you can picture properly imagine Picture your nearest, it. dearest toddler. <laughs> Do you have a toddler in your family? Picture this. Now that picture it as a paper <laughs> See the metal bending in your mind's eye. <laughs> now picture that as a toddler. <laughs> now back to the paper clip. Back to the toddler. <laughs> now put it on your now wall. put it on your wall. <laughs> but yeah, it was massive and I didn't know yeah. if anyone noticed this. Was- I mean, before the apartment was decorated with just like... Um, quote ethnic things and right. it was so offensive because oh, it was, was really it? like these white people that are like oh we have a tribal mask Always. and it fucking <sighs> sucked see i didn't even notice the apartment before um i think i was trying to figure out my notes but that oh my god and now it's now it's a giant paperclip so and i i think That's the paperclip's an upgrade i like, I like the paperclip <laughs> yeah. i said keep it yeah um but yeah those are all my notes those are all my favorite shots and all the things that i noticed yeah. like right away uh. i'm sure there were more but again it was just i was trying to pay attention and yeah. really take it in there's so. truly no way that we could ever talk about everything we want to in this. I know. So it's like, I don't be like, oh, you didn't cover the best part. And it's like, babe, we tried. I know. <laughs> we just can't. Like I said, watch it. And yeah. honestly, hit us up on Instagram and Twitter. Tell us yeah. all the cool stuff you noticed because oh yeah, it's so hard to talk about all of our notes and keep this under two hours. Oh, Jesus, no. Which we're trying to do. We're trying to do. Oh, funeral. Let's talk about the funeral. That okay. is the one I wanted to save for yeah. the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Basically, as soon as I finished the movie, I was like, okay, I've now seen this movie twice. And the first time I had a more generous reading of Helen, the second time I was like, not Helen sucks. Same, yeah. And I was like, the first time I watched it, I, you know, selfishly wanted to see the funeral as them recognizing that she had not kidnapped a baby. Right. That's and why then, I read it in the beginning, yeah. too. The first time I watched it. And then the second time I watched it, so it's this procession of folks from Cabrini Green mm-hmm. and they're like past what the eye can see. Like they're just this long line yeah. and they are mostly wearing black. Right. But then some of them have like very vibrant red, like, um, it's that red like again, gloves or like headbands or something. And so it's like, okay, so like, this is kind of interesting. And it's Anne Marie and Jake yeah. at the front and Jake drops the hook yep. that was recovered from the fire into the, like, pit. What's it called? The hole? The grave! Oh. <laughs> when I'm buried, put me in the pit. <laughs> I was like, well, it's not in the casket. It's on the casket. What's well, a casket in a pit. <laughs> the casket pit. <laughs> Good old casket pit. <laughs> Beautiful. So, yes, he throws the hook into yeah, the casket pit. and they don't. Like, it's this very grim moment where they look very serious Mm -hmm. and it's not, like, weeping, losing this woman. She saved us. And so the reading that I found most compelling is basically, like, they're recognizing that she has made some amends, Mm -hmm. but she still did immense harm. Right. And she is Candyman. Yeah. And they're burying that with her. Yeah. And so it's like, you brought the baby back. But they have no idea that she perhaps didn't take the baby in the first place. Right. And so one reading is this self-sacrificing woman finally gets recognized for what she does. I don't like that reading. No. There's also the, like, fuck you, like, have this book. And I think that that's a valid reading. But I think that, like, slightly towards the fuck you reading is the one where it's, like, 
We recognize that you did a good thing at the end by saving a baby. Right. But you did immense harm in the process. Yes. So we're paying a respect, (laughs) but still holding you to account. Yeah. And that's because like the first time, like you said, when we watched it, I also was super kind to Helen and I, you know, gatekeep, guess, guess like girl boss. I was like, you go Helen. Um, And the second time. I was like, oh, fuck off, Helen. <laughs> um, so when they, like you said about the red, I think it's really interesting because Helen was seen in the movie with a ton of red. And I always took it as she is the evil within this thing and she doesn't even realize it. And like, it's something so subtle, but it's still something that you pick up on. So when they're wearing all this red and like it's thrown in around, I think it's like, she's still around. Yeah. So it's like they're giving her this hook to be like, yes, we know you did something good. But here's the thing that like, yeah. You still kind of brought with you and you made worse. Yeah. Because like Candyman was still there. He was still killing, but like she really just made it worse. She came in and she made everything worse by doing all the things people told her not to do. And making it about her. Exactly. So then they give her the talk and they're like, you wanted this so bad. Here's this thing that yeah. you made so much worse. Yeah. And yes, they're wearing black. It's like, we appreciate what you did, but. Yeah. And it's also like an act of closure for that whole yes. community. Like we have been terrorized and now we can say goodbye to right. one element of like the terror. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. And that's how I'm reading into that red too. Is that like they're saying goodbye, but whether they know it or not, it's still there kind yeah. of thing. Because I kept associating red with Helen in yeah. this movie. So it just felt like a way of being like, yes, she's gone. So they think whether she actually is, I don't know. Um, yeah, interesting. The funeral scene's really interesting. Yeah. Because they don't look sad, this community. Like, they don't look sad, but just they also... Stoic. Yeah. They very much are just like, yeah, we're, we're just going to do this. Like, mm. let's get this done. Yeah. It's such an interesting scene. Mm, yeah. All around, just an interesting movie. Yeah. You can take a lot from it. And it's still really good, too. Like, it's got good scares. It's subtle. Do you want to get into scariest moment then? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I have, mine was easy. As soon as it happened, it's like, well, that's scariest moment. <laughs> See, now I have to think, like, oh, there were so many really, really good ones. For me, it was a jump scare this time. Because like, oh, really? the last few movies, like, didn't really have a ton of jump scares. Mm-hmm. And this one, like, had one or two. It did, yeah. It and one like of them a few. got me. Even though I knew it was going to, I it's knew there would be like... a scare. I'd seen it before. I still jumped, screamed a little bit. <laughs> okay. You go first and okay. I'll... She's in her bathroom at home. Yes. And she's like, ugh, everything's awful. It's hard to be me. And she like opens the cabinet. And then you think she's going to like close the mirror and it's going to be the mirror scare. Right. A hook comes out of the vanity at her. Oh, yeah. And she's like, ah, and runs. Oh, that one is so good. Yeah. I liked that one a lot. Yeah. Um, I think the one that creeps me out the most and that I think about still is uh, at the very, very end when she shows up mm-hmm. and she's all like, her makeup is done beautifully, but she has this horrible like burns on her head and you can tell she's a ghost, but she's been through hell at this point. Um, I've been through hell and I'm back. Oh, and she's back. And uh, yeah, she just like so heartlessly kills her husband, which like he sucks. So yeah, I was like, sucks. go for it, girl. But it just creeped me out how she's just... She went through all of this. She's the savior. And then here she is murdering just like Candyman. And I have really, a trope for that. Oh, it really creeped me out. Just the way she looks with, you know, so beautiful in her nightgown. Yeah. And she just has such a stoic face. Like she has the whole movie. Except now she looks happy. Yeah. Oh, creep me out. Ugh. Creepy as shit. Yeah, such a good. They had some really good scares in this one. It was hard to choose. I liked it a lot. Yeah. 
Um, are we ready for? Uh, I think we've covered qualms at this point in oh, yeah. everything else. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm so excited for tropes. Okay, I I have like one kind of like. Anyway, I'll get into it. I don't know how to quantify these. I have the <laughs> last one. This is all to say. The last one is just very much like. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, so the first one. And then John was a zombie. Oh, yeah! Uh, so the protagonist is transformed literally into the monster that they fought so desperately for the rest of the movie or show. Yeah. This is different from the trope, he who fights monsters, which is more metaphorical of like, you became the evil. Oh, right. But in this one, it's like, no, nah, they're bitten by a zombie, werewolf, a vampire, or... Oh, yeah. Yeah, or they're killed escaping a giant pirate. They were held captive by a hook-handed entity who was created through belief. Because he literally yeah. says like, you will become a mortal. Be yeah. my victim. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. It's like every time he said "be my victim," I kept picturing a little Valentine with a B on it. And I it said "be my, my victim," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh!" I thought the same thing. I wrote it in my. Well, I love that he asks. Yeah. He's like, "Hey, would you like to be my victim?" And she's like, mm, "Okay, jeez, since you ask nice, I guess." Uh, yeah. Oh my god, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. She literally like gives in and accepts it. So yeah. Yeah, he did lie to her. He did. He did lie. (laughs) Fair enough. All right, Candyman. And the naming of this trope, the Mm -hmm. trope Neighbor, is an infamous bad short fan fiction called Doom, Repercussions of Evil, which this is all direct quote from tvtropes.com. Thank you. tvtropes.org. Sorry, thank you. Oh, come on. Uh, Which ends with the protagonist named John suddenly turning into a zombie with no explanation whatsoever. (laughs) Okay, we yeah. gotta watch that now. And this is like the trope namer is a callback to a very early episode where I went through like the Ur example, trope codifier and trope maker, and this is the trope namer. So like okay. where it got its name. Right, right, right. Okay, and so then this is a kind of like TV tropes is very much like a wiki type thing mm-hmm. where people like add to it. Yeah. And I don't know what um credentials you need to add to it, but <laughs> I disagree with some of the things that they all said. Right, all right. Because Hell like yeah. Okay, so some users said that Candyman was an XP character, but I don't think it qualifies. Okay. XP, E-X-P-Y, and that stands for exported character. Okay. And that is when a character very clearly is based on an established character from elsewhere. It's not ambiguous, and it is totally intentional. So in this case, Candyman's mirror invocation is very clearly based on Bloody Mary. But in order to be an exported character, there can't be multiple foundational characters. It has to be one. Right. So it's like Felix the Cat to Mickey Mouse. Like okay, it's okay. basically like so there are a lot of different reasons that you would have an XP character. Sometimes it's to build upon a previous work. Or right. Sometimes there are a lot of reasons, and I don't want to get into it. <laughs> I just because, don't want to <laughs> because it's not one. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like I, I'll actually talk about it when we do have an XP character. Because it's weird. Yeah. Even though they have some of the same rules, yeah. I did not think about Bloody Mary. <laughs> yeah. And so Candyman is a combination of at least two, Bloody Mary and the Hook-Handed Man. Oh, yep, Uh, yep, yep. And folks have said that that makes him a mix-and-match critter. But to me, that applies more to creatures that are just, like, combinations. Right. (laughs) Physically of multiple animals (laughs) with names, like a Chimera or a Minotaur. Right. Uh, And I don't think Candyman fits there either, especially since... Uh, critters usually refers to animals and not humans. And right. he is a human. He is a human. <laughs> uh, well, he's an entity that was created from belief, but a human. But still a human. <laughs> still a human. Uh, and so I don't know what he is. Just yeah. an amalgam of mythologies, but I didn't find a specific trope for that. Yeah. But I know two tropes. He's not. Hell yeah. Uh, and then this is... Oh boy. The BB gun. <laughs> B-E-E-B-E-E gun. <laughs> 
<laughs> you didn't have to spell it. I heard it in your voice. Yep. And this can take several Beebies. forms. And this is a quote. It can be an actual gun that shoots bees. Love that. A special ability to control bees. Yeah. A character that is actually made of bees. <laughs> the simple act of lobbing a beehive, a wasp nest, or a jar or bottle filled with the insects at someone else. <laughs> or a dog with bees in their mouths so when they bark, they shoot bees at you. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. And then this is a subtrope of living, living, <laughs> living weapon. Uh, specifically attack animals. So if the bees are trained for combat, it would be a living weapon. Uh, If the bees are shot from a gun like bullets, then it's more abnormal ammo. (laughs) And then this is a direct quote. Often hits somewhere an entomologist is crying because real bees often do not work that way. I think I'm qualified to speak on this as yeah. someone who's coming from bug TikTok. Yeah. Um, <laughs> bees don't do that. Bees don't do that. <laughs> One of my favorite parts when I was reading was they were talking about how they safely handled the bees on set. Yeah. And they said they gently vacuumed them up when they Aww. were done and then like, you know, gently vacuumed them to release. Right. Not to just be like, sucks to suck. Got them. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I kept so picturing the bee gun. people scooping the bees and how much you hated that. <laughs> Oh God! She's scrunched. <laughs> no, I don't. Like I it. love. I have always wanted. If someone can make this dream come true for me, I want to scoop bees. I want to scoop them good. I want to see what it feels like. Something. There was a quote when I was reading um, interviews with the beekeeper. Yeah. Person. And uh, they were like, "Oh, so like, how do you keep them from stinging you?" And he's like, "You don't. You, you just don't. choose to be okay with that." Yeah. And he's like, you get stung. You just have to be fine with being stung. Right. And, and I, like, I mean, I nothing. these are so smart, too. Like, yeah. they're going to sting you if they're threatened, but just, I don't know. Don't be fucking threatening. Yeah. I just want to scoop them. I just want to. And guys, I'm okay with being stung. So let me scoop. But somebody make this come true for me. Someone's going to come back and be like, just go outside, scoop some bees. Like, <laughs> I have a good bee story for you. Do you want to hear a good bee story? Do I? I didn't scoop any. Oh, well. Um, Is it really good then? Yeah, Can well, it be good if you didn't scoop them? In my heart? No. Yeah. It's mediocre. Um, I was at a summer camp one time when I was like 11 and there were some bullies who were bullying the bees and I was sitting under a big beehive. Don't know why. I just loved bees. And I was like, you know, hey, stop. And they were throwing rocks at the beehive and I was like, stop hurting the bees. And so they threw the rock and they knocked it down and it landed right next to me. And I was like, this is it. I'm fucking dead. And I didn't move because I was like, I don't want to scare them more. Bees can't see if you're still. Right? <laughs> so I sat really still and all of the bees went, boom, and they zoomed at the guys throwing the yes, rocks yes, and yes, just yes, fucking yes. stung them like crazy. I didn't get stung once. I just yeah. sat there calmly and I was like, you fools. <laughs> Bee I felt karma. like a god in that moment. I was like, I control the bees. <laughs> um... Yeah, so I simply avoided getting stung by not throwing a rock at yeah. bees. Don't throw rocks at bees. Don't throw rocks at bees. Lesson learned. I want to scoop them. That's my dream. Let's move on before I get sad about scooping. <laughs> well, those are my tropes. <laughs> oh, those were some good, good tropes. The uh, last one. My only rating scale that I had in my heart was bees, all caps. Bees. So that's literally all I had. So whatever um, you have. I had mouth bees. Specifically. Mouth specifically. Yeah, you have um, to be specific. Scrunches. Scrunches. How many scrunches do you give? <laughs> <laughs> That's really good, though. 
Um, I also, for some reason, just really focused on bees. Bees. How many nose <laughs> do you give this? Bugs Bunny nose. How many Bugs Bunny nose do you give this? I I have a favorite, but um, what is your favorite? Scrunches. Okay. I think scrunches okay. is just. <laughs> Yeah. Really funny. Because now that I know that it's called scrunching, yeah. we're getting the best of both worlds because that's the sound of the mouth bees. Mm. So really, yeah, we we're getting both. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is good. This I is like good. this. Oh, God. Now I have to rate this movie. Oh, shit, tits. Uh... Okay. I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready. You count down. Okay. Three, two, one. Yeah! Oh! <laughs> Hell yeah. We both gave it four. Yes, we did. All right, you go. Okay, I uh, I think this movie is super fun to watch, like, in terms of the cinematography. Like, there's, I thank goodness I'm not epileptic. Uh, there's a lot of flashing lights. Oh, yeah, I meant to talk about that um, a lot. Quite a bit. I think that the way, I don't know, I think it's cinematically very beautiful to watch. Mm-hmm. I also really love, like, the way that horror is levied, not through, like, screams and lots of, like, yeah. slashing, but, like, the quiet terror and mm-hmm. the psychological terror and like all those things. So I thought it was very effective. I, I dock it one um, scrunch. Right. Because, you know. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> Helen. So I give it four with the interpretation or with the belief or the hope, I guess, mm-hmm. that we see it not as like upholding, look at this white woman who did what she right. could. Instead being like, look at this white woman that fucked shit up and never took accountability for it. Right. So that's why I can give it four scrunches. Right. If we approach it in that manner. Right. Uh, same. You know, four scrunches, docked one because <sighs> Helen's the worst yeah. and I'm choosing to read it that she is the villain. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, you know, not saying that's true because I don't fucking know, but yeah. that's how I'm reading it. Um, and I just love the scares. Like you said, it's quiet. It's a quiet scare, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate because um, you can do both super well. And mm-hmm. They're both really fun when you can do it well. When you have screams and terror and then you have hypnotism. She yeah. literally was hypnotized. That's wild to me. Wild. Um, but that was so cool because it made it so much scarier and it also made it super ambiguous because you don't know what's happening and it just kept you in the dark about so many things. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just super cool. I loved the cinematography as well. Can't wait to watch Legally Blonde and get some uh, <laughs> cinema cinematic parallels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll do a side-by-side analysis. We do a side-by-side, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought the cinematography was great. I thought some of the shots were really well done and they established the setting super, super well in really subtle ways. And I think lighting was neat, even though it was like, for the most part, relatively basic lighting. They had some really cool strobe effects, like you said, um, where it was either lightning or just happening in general. And because they had both, couldn't quite tell what was supernatural and what was just the weather mm-hmm. um or her camera right or her camera they forgot that her camera also does it. it's just cool they had a lot of different ways of getting similar lighting and it was neat so as usual yeah lighting cinematography all good stuff and a, a big chef's kiss to jake and his amazing acting and i love jake perfect <sighs> can't fix that better off dead <laughs> love jake <laughs> So oh, Jake was excellent. Four, four scrunches. Four for scrunches. Sure, yeah. yeah. So that's eight total scrunches. Eight total scrunches. Just a lot of mouth bees. Oh gosh. Make my scrunch noise again. <laughs> it just sounds like I'm hissing. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think I quite have a grasp on what a scrunch is. I think I'm, your scrunch was way better. Oh, thank you. I'm going to yeah. pull it up and play the scrunch. Yeah. I think it was really good. Yeah. Um, I would say give our best scrunch for our good out, but let's not do that. Let's do our regular 
outro yeah. instead of yeah. scrunching. So okay. I don't know if people liked it. Please scrunch inside your heart. Scrunch inside your heart, please. <laughs> <laughs> so does that wrap up our discussion? I think so, yeah. yeah. So if you enjoyed your time with us, scrunches and all, yeah. uh, we would really appreciate it if you'd rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find us. It makes us happy. We love reading what people say. If uh, you leave a review, I promise to never make the scrunch noise again. I promise no such thing. Oh, shit. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go With It, where every Wednesday we'll post the movie for the week mm-hmm. and where you can find it mm-hmm. if it's streaming for somewhere. Right. Easy. Streaming for somewhere? Streaming for somewhere free. <laughs> <clears throat> and then you can also check out our extended show notes. That's where we put all the memes. Yeah. And also my sources. And, and actually notes. genuinely beautiful notes <laughs> that Kate takes. So. Uh, and that's on our website, JustGoWithItPod.com. Or maybe even take a look at our Patreon. Do it. Patreon.com slash just go with it. And we have a Discord. We have a great Discord. Yeah. It's really fun. We share a lot of good horror memes and also horrendous photos of ourselves. So if you've ever yep. wanted to see some really embarrassing photos of us, yeah. uh, jump in. <laughs> as low as $5 a month, we'll get you on the Discord as a ghoul friend. It's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. And we'd like to take this opportunity to thank our patrons. Yeah. We have Kim, Kelly, Nihar, Will, Rachel, Kelsey, Sula, Tim, Beth, Kayla, and Meg. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I've never seen Entourage. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've never seen Entourage. <laughs> I've never seen Trek. Uh, Ever. <laughs> the intro and outro music was created by Anthony Rockazella, and the cover is by our very own Nikki Solomon. Who promises never to scrunch again. Nikki promises that. I... I say, be careful out there. Be <laughs> careful. Goose. Oh, cat. Um, Did she scrunch? I nudged her with my toe. Oh, poor thing. Oh my god, her face. Everyone, uh, let's do our best. I almost said give our best scrunch, but I made no. a promise. I can't. Well, they haven't reviewed it yet. Um, let's give our best bee pun. Okay. Um, Nia DaCosta's Candyman is. Uh, there's so much good buzz about it. Shit! No, that was mine. <laughs> Won't you come up with another? I should have gone B for you. <laughs> I have no more. <laughs> I'm out of people. <laughs>